Just three races remain on the 2022 season, a year dominated by Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing. They have got eight straight victories going into Mexico City as they left Austin with another win for Verstappen, the Constructors' Championship, and now Max sets his eyes on a new single-season record for victories. But there is still some things to be fought out during the stretch run to the end, and we're going to go over our five things to watch out for at Mexico City. We're going to have a look at the circuit as well as our top five and bottom five from Austin, and have my thoughts on the Alonzo penalty from Coda. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. And if you've been listening consistently, I do hope you will consider subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a five-star review. The five-star reviews certainly help us grow. We would love it and appreciate it if you can do that. If you are new to this podcast, give it a few episodes. I'm not going to ask you to subscribe. Give it a few episodes, though. If my style and my way of doing this podcast fits you and you like it, I hope you will consider subscribing to it. If you'd like to reach me, you can do so at Tony D Radio. You can also hit me up at Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. We're going to go over the five things to watch for for the Mexico City Grand Prix. And I think the first one is as obvious as it gets. It's going to be Checo, Checo, Checo. It is going to be a huge party in Mexico City. It's all going to center around Sergio Perez. He's got a pretty good chance of winning on his home track this weekend because he arrives in Mexico City with two victories already on the year. He took the checkered flag at Monaco and he took the checkered flag at Singapore. He's driving for the best team on the grid. And unlike last year, where you had Mercedes and Red Bull going at each other every single track, Max and Hamilton, Max and Hamilton, and Sergio kind of playing the good teammate. But this year, Red Bull has the fastest car. No question about it. Their straight line speed is absolutely outstanding. Now, where you could see Perez be successful in front of the home crowd is on Saturday during qualifying. Now, Ferrari has dominated qualifying this year. They've got 12 pole positions between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc. Red Bull will have to take that aspect away, but you could also see Max helping out his teammate get that top spot, giving him a toe during Q3. Checo's been a legendary teammate for Max over the past two championship seasons. Maybe Max helps him out, gets him on the front of the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. Now, I do believe in the purity of competition. That's naive, I get it, but hear me out on this. I know there's some people that will say that if Checo has a chance to win, maybe Max lets up and lets Checo take the checkered flag. I'm not really discounting that. I mean, there's a possibility that that could happen, but I I think there's a purity in the sport and the competitiveness of the sport that needs to be in place at all times. I don't think we'd like to see it. You know, Max Verstappen has the lead of the Grand Prix and he lets Sergio Perez pass him. There's a sentimental factor there, but it also sort sort of makes a mockery of what we're actually doing in a Grand Prix, which is the fastest car winning the race. Now, you may say for argument's sake that, hey, wait a minute, it's not just about sentimentality here. Red Bull's already got the Constructors' Championship. They've already got the World Championship. But we're still playing for P2 here, and Sergio Perez trails Charles Leclerc by two points. A win would definitely help him in the race for P2, and that's a strategic thing that Red Bull may want to do. I can't argue with that. But I don't think you'll see this weekend. And I could be wrong, and we'll, and we'll see in, in our Mexico City Grand Prix review whether I am or not. I don't think you're going to see a purposeful push to get Max out of the way during the Grand Prix. I think the FIA would frown upon that. There's a level of competition and the purity of the competition that you absolutely want to keep. I understand there's big money involved, et cetera, et cetera, but the sport doesn't really like it when we mingle in this kind of stuff, when teams mingle in this kind of stuff to manipulate outcomes. And I think they would come down hard on Red Bull if that actually happened. But that's putting the cart way before the horse here. So let's let's understand that 
in order to get that opportunity, Sergio Perez has to be put in a position to get that opportunity. And right now, Max is beating him not only to the checkered flag, but there's a lot of other cars beating Sergio Perez to that point as well. If you do get a Checo victory, though, if you do get it, uh, it's going to be electric. They are partying all week long for Sergio Perez. We've seen it in Zanvoort. We, we've seen it in other places where a hometown favorite wins. It's a great scene. It's a great sight. It'll be great for Mexico City if that indeed happens. So watch out for Checo, no matter what he does, and the crowd's reaction to that. Saw a little bit of an Austin. A lot of Sergio Perez fans in Texas, uh, and it was fun. It was really fun the three days that I was there to just see them go nuts for Sergio Perez. All right, the second thing to watch out for is that other guy that drives for Red Bull. That that other guy, that Max Verstappen. Yeah, he's going to go for his 14th win of the season. That sets a new record. It would give him 14 and 20 races and a total that is going to surpass Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel. Now, you can make the argument in sort of a baseball term. You know, in baseball, you have um, Roger Maris and Aaron Judge, 61, 62 home runs in 162 game season. Babe Ruth had 60 and 154. So there are purists that say, well, I want to see those guys hit that many home runs in the same amount of time that Babe Ruth had. All right. I understand. You had 13 and 18 races for Michael Schumacher. You had 13 races, wins in 19 races for Sebastian Vettel. So Verstappen is on at least Vettel's pace, but 14, 15 victories in a given grind of an F1 season uh, is still going to be amazing, no matter what context you want to put it in. He's 25 years old. He's already a two-time champion. 17 drivers have multiple titles in the history of Formula One, and he's one of them. One more world championship for Verstappen. He's going to surpass Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Emerson Fittipaldi, Fernando Alonso, just to name a couple. It would put him, if he gets his third next season or the year after or whenever, a third title for this 25-year-old will put him in the class of Nicky Lauda, Jackie Stewart, Nelson Piquet, and Ayrton Senna. So look, Max Verstappen going for his 14th win, number two on the things to watch out for this weekend. But I get I get it. The, the, the other guy at Red Bull, because this is going to be Sergio Perez's weekend with the fans. Number three, this is going to be more technical, so bear with me on this. Racing with an altitude. Mexico City is the highest elevation in Formula One on the calendar. It's about a mile and a half above sea level. Now, I'm not going to get overly technical here. If you really want to do your research, go ahead. But I don't want to lose you in the in the technological process of racing at altitude. It generates a huge challenge for engineers and the setup for the cars. It does so every single year they go there. With altitude comes thin air. The modern Formula One cars are running on a turbocharged power unit. It means the turbo has to work extra hard to compress more air to get the same output as you would have at other places on the calendar. You get more strain on the unit. It heats up. It requires more cooling. And if you don't get that right, you're going to be done for the day. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not going to try to oversimplify this. I'm not going to try to get too technical. I'm trying to land in the middle here. So bear with me. The thinner air gets you less drag. With less drag, you get less downforce. So the teams will try to use the highest downforce package that they can, like the ones that you see at Singapore or in Monaco, but they're still going to get the top speeds that you get at the long stretch and in Mexico City at this circuit. So again, it's challenging for the engineers, not to mention if you've ever lived at altitude or ever gone to Denver or any other place, Mexico City, for example, you know about altitude 
altitude sickness. If you're not used to it, you get there, you get a little dizzy. It takes a while to get acclimated to the lack of oxygen. That's going to go for drivers, pit crews, teams, everybody that's involved in this. Mexico City is always a challenge for the teams and the drivers simply because of the lack of oxygen that is in the air. Racing at altitude takes a lot of challenges. So you might see some attrition in this race based on engineers and teams not getting it right, especially with the new car. Number four, and this is a fourth thing to watch out for, is Mercedes. I keep bringing this up, so bear with me again, because I'll admit, I was really pulling for Lewis Hamilton on Sunday, because I wanted to be right. I had a prediction about three to four races in when Mercedes was struggling that Toto Wolf and company were going to get this right, they were going to get it dialed in, the upgrades would come, things would be better for the team, and eventually they would win a race. And, And you saw... George Russell just ticking off top five finish after top five finish all season long until he got to Silverstone and had that first uh, moment crash that sort of ended that streak. I wanted to be right about that prediction. So I was really pulling for Hamilton, but you could see that as soon as Max Verstappen got past Charles Leclerc, Hamilton was just a sitting duck. And with seven laps remaining, that was it. Max goes on to win the Grand Prix. Last season, we know that was a lot more fun when these two were really racing and, and the quality of both cars were at the highest level and they were about equal on the track in terms of pace and some tracks would be a Red Bull track and some tracks would be a Mercedes track and could Max steal one at a Mercedes track and could Lewis steal one at a Red Bull track. We didn't get that this year. It has been just a season of Red Bull dominance and Mercedes has had to play kind of second fiddle as again, the W13 has not been up to par, but the final three races, we might have something here, right? I mean, by the way, when you think about it for a second, when George Russell replaced Valtteri Bottas, remember last season when that was announced, right? Russell was probably thinking, I'm going to a winning team. I'm going to be fighting for victories. I'm going to be, you know, forget podiums. I'll be winning Grand Prix races. Now that hasn't happened this year. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the future, but it's just not happening this year. It's not all lost though over the final three races. And it, could start in Mexico City. There was a new upgrade for the team in Austin. Hamilton showed a lot better pace. It wasn't on Verstappen's level, but they showed a lot better pace. And George Russell did too. I know a lot of the focus on Russell was that incident with Carlos Sainz in turn one on lap one, but he could have earned a podium finish if it wasn't for that incident and that five-second penalty that came with it. Now, Toto Wolf believes that the car is a bit draggy, and we saw that in Austin, and that's going to do well in Mexico City because, again, with the high altitude, the dragginess tends not to be such a disadvantage. you got to go with the low downforce package that, that they will run there, as I mentioned earlier, but this is not Mercedes country in Mexico city. They've only had one win there in the last five races. That was Lewis Hamilton in 2019. So again, some of the things that have hurt Mercedes car wise are not going to be as, as, as disadvantaged in, in Mexico city, but I still not quite sure if they're going to get a win at some point this season. And the fifth thing to watch out for, driver's seats that are still available. All right, we're going to get some more details on Logan Sargent. It was announced after uh, Austin that he is going to be taking over the seat that is going to be vacated by Nicholas Latifi. Sargent, an F2 driver, had a practice run with Williams on Friday at Coda, and he's going to become the first American driver since Alexander Rossi on an F1 grid. Now, he needs 40 super license points. He's got to get that straightened out. He has 28. If he completes two practice sessions, Mexico City and Abu Dhabi, 
is where he's scheduled to do that. If he doesn't get a penalty, if he completes a um, hundred kilometers, he should be able to get those points. He, he also needs to finish sixth or better in the F2 season. Same thing. That should not be a concern to get Sargent on the grid next year for Williams. But let's say for whatever reason, he does not get those super license points. Williams isn't really interested in delivering a plan B right now. So it's Logan Sargent, at least as far as we know, or they're going to be looking again to fill Nicholas Latifi's seat. But I think the big one right now is who's going to take the Haas seat. Mick Schumacher didn't score any points at Austin after needing to come in for a two-stop strategy. Team owner Gene Haas just was pretty frank about it. He said he used up the medium tires so much, he needed a new set. Kevin Magnuson went 37 laps on the mediums, and he was able to score some points. So Haas being pretty direct about Schumacher's drive in Austin. Plus, he had gotten in a little bit of entanglement, said some debris hit him, it cost him some time on the car. And then if you add to the fact that Schumacher's accidents are pretty costly to this money-tight team, right? I mean, I know he's the son of the legend of the sport, but that also leads to problems, too, because now you've got outsiders extra critical of the team and the way they handle Mick Schumacher. So that's a headache some teams are not going to want to have. They want his talent, they want his name, but it comes with a lot of baggage, too. And so who is going to take the Haas seat if Mick Schumacher isn't re-signed for next season? Does Daniel Ricardo want this? No, he does not. He does not want it. I don't blame him. Ricardo could probably go to another better team down the line, not next year, but in the future. His, his resume is still going to be polished up nice and neat if there's an opening somewhere else. But Nico Hulkenberg's name is starting to emerge for that Haas seat. Uh, he could be the driver that teams up with Kevin Magnussen next season for Haas. Now, that would be great because if you remember the famous spat that those two had in Hungary in 2019, suck my boop, honey, that was, you know, on TV. Magnussen, though, because uh, he had forced Hulkenberg off the track at Budapest, um, obviously led to that confrontation. But the two have made up, so they could be teammates next year for Haas. So those are the five things to watch out for for the Mexico City Grand Prix. Let's actually get to the circuit to give you kind of a description of what you can expect on Sunday if you're kind of new to this particular race in general. Mexico City, home to the Autodrome Hermanos Rodriguez. Mexico City Grand Prix has been there since 1986 and running to 1992. They took a break, came back in 2015, and now running till now with the 2020 race canceled due to COVID. Verstappen has three wins on this circuit. He's won three of the last four. His first came in 2017. The Grand Prix, just to give you an idea of this track, it's going to start off with a really long straight down into turn one, really long. This is when you're going to get top speed um, in, in th throughout the Grand Prix. This is kind of like Monza. If you're familiar with that circuit right off the start, you just go down this long straight. Then a series of left, right turns. You come into the second straight, and that's where the second DRS zone will be. So the first is going to be on that long straight. The second one is going to be after a series of right, left, right turns that gets you on sort of a smaller straight, but again, second DRS. DRS. You get a tight left hand turn that leads to a right hand turn. And then you take a short shoot into turn six. Now turn six is a really tight right hand, a very slow corner, a lot of slow corners at this circuit. Then the cars sort of head down to a series of left, right weaves, and then they get to the final DRS zone, a little bit of speed generating before they get back on the brakes, turn right, and then they will enter the stadium section of the circuit. Now this is one of of the great scenes in Formula One. The cars are actually inside sort of this Coliseum-like arena almost, and 
then they'll go through a series of some more slow corners and then they'll go underneath the grandstand that sort of opens up for them. There'll be a banked turn to the right. That's going to be the final turn banked corner that picks up speed that leads to the long stretch. And they are going to be flying down that stretch. I mean, that's what we were talking about earlier. You're going to get the maximum downforce package as you would on slow circuits like Monaco, for example. But because of the thin air, these cars are going to be able to reach maximum speed going down that stretch. Valtteri Botas hit it really hard a couple of years ago. I think it was in way up there in terms of miles per hour. So that's what you're going to expect in Mexico City. This is a rather short circuit. 4.3 kilometers. The race is going to be 71 laps. Pirelli, they're going to bring the mid-range tires for this race. C2 for the hard, C3 for the medium, C4 for the softs. All right, so that's the Mexico City Grand Prix. Expect a huge party for Sergio Perez. Max Verstappen going for win number 14. Maybe Mercedes. Toto Wolf is kind of excited about the possibility that Mercedes might be able to do something in this Grand Prix. Look for some attrition. They might happen based on how teams are setting up this new car for the, uh, the issues that are going to come with racing at a high altitude. And there's possibly going to be more paddock talk about who's going to replace who, where, and whatnot. I think there's only two really left. The Logan Sargent situation is going to work itself out, and then the situation at Haas. We are going to get to the Fernando Alonso penalty. There is an appeal as of this recording. We haven't got a ruling on that yet, so when we do, we will add it to whatever podcast is coming up, quite possibly the Mexico City Review. That's going to come up early next week. But let's go over Austin. Let's go over the United States Grand Prix and the top five and bottom five from that race. We start with bottom five up. As you guys who have listened to this podcast know, I don't do just drivers. It can be any circumstance. It could be teams. It could be the FIA. I've given it to a team principal once. I think I gave it to Hannah Schmitz, the strategist for uh, Max Verstappen and Red Bull. Like it could be anything that affects the Grand Prix, not just driver. But what I'm not going to do, and the reason I bring that up is what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to give one of the top spots to the American crowd for once again bracing Formula One. Not going to do that. That's a little cheesy. That's a little corny. Yes, it's near and dear to my heart as an American sports broadcaster. Um, I have been, you know, every now and then on my radio show, I'll talk Formula One, but, and it makes me happy when I can do that, but. I, I won't put it in the top five. It's, it's a little corny. So let's get to the bottom five. And I'm going to start with number five, and that's going to go to George Russell. Because even though he earned himself a top five finish, Russell did trigger a turn one incident. He tagged Carlos Sainz. He took the Ferrari out of the race. He did earn a five-second penalty. Now, Sainz had lost the lead to Verstappen right from the start. He was trying to gain it back. He was using the inside part of the turn. Verstappen was going a little wide. He was tucking himself in and then was going to be able to hit the gas and sort of maybe get some momentum to get past Verstappen, even, even if he held that lead for just a minute. But that was sort of the strategy. Russell didn't anticipate that strategy, and he should have. He went in a little too hot. He was there at the time that Signs was coming in, tangled with Signs, and that ended his race. So Russell's good finish... I got to put him in the bottom five because I think he did cause that. I think it was his fault. He earned the five-second penalty. So, bam, you are number five. Number four, though, Daniel Ricardo. I didn't even want to look this up, but I'm just going to tell you, he was so far back of Lando Norris's teammate in this race. I didn't even want to look up the minutes. I mean, the, how many seconds? It was like 30-something seconds. There were two safety cars in this race. He wasn't involved in any incident. 
he, he just can't drive this car. I mean, I'm sorry that he's closing out his career like this. Not really his career, but at least this season. Who knows when he comes back? He just can't drive this car. He finished 16th. The only one he was ahead of at the finish was Nicholas Latifi. Everybody else DNF'd. I mean, Norris was sixth. It's just a terrible Grand Prix. I mean, he just really, he loves Texas. Texas loves him. And he got nothing, absolutely nothing out of that McLaren. Zip. Number three, Valtteri Botas. Tough day for Alfa Romeo anyway, but Botas, he spun out in turn 19. He went into the gravel. That brought out the first safety car. I got to at least thank him for that because it made the race a lot more interesting. Um, but, you know, at least in that particular moment, but it's been really super tough for Botas. We've documented this a couple of times on this podcast. This was a guy that was supposed to come in, get points, be a sort of a veteran driver that knows how to win, knows how to get that car up front. Is going to be more competitive midfield, but he hasn't had a point since Canada. That's that's a long time to go without scoring any points. Valtteri Botas, three on the bottom five. Number two, this is Carlos Sainz. This was not his fault. But it's a terrible outcome because he put so much effort Saturday into getting pole position. And Ferrari does that really, really well. Like I said earlier, they've had 12 pole positions this season. But he started on a side of the grid. Again, not his fault. It has, that has a little bit less grip than the other side. So if you're going, if you're looking at it up, if you're looking at the hill, he would be, he was starting on the right side. Verstappen was on, everyone on that left side of the grid going up there, they all had grip. Um, so Sainz found himself right behind Verstappen early. Um, he didn't see George Russell at all when he was trying to make that move. It ended his day. But I think the reason that I kind of feel bad for him, sixth DNF this season for Sainz. Everything from going off the track and, and you know, he was off in Imola. He was off in Australia. Remember his car caught on fire in Austria? I mean, Carlos Sainz has had a really, really tough season. Number one, though, I'm giving this to Lance Stroll. His slight move to the left when Fernando Alonso was trying to overtake him on that long straight after turn 11 caused another accident. It brought out the safety car. That was the second one of the day. It could be analyzed. Stroll trying to defend and Alonso was just a little too close at the time, right? Like he had the right to defend, but Alonso was just too close. Eh, it's, it's, it's a little too tight. He's going to get a three place grid penalty in Mexico because of this. It was pretty careless on his part. Uh, it sent Alonzo flying. It could have been really, really disastrous. Lance Stroll, bottom five, number one spot. All right, let's get to the top five. And my number five is Charles Leclerc. He started 12th after taking a 10 place grid penalty for an upgrade qualified second Saturday. He was able to get right towards the front. He did beat out Verstappen in the pits after Max had that long pit stop, 11 seconds. But in the end, he's, he just can't fight Max off. You know, they can go back and forth, but in the end, Max had the power and the car. Uh, but he did pass Sergio Perez. He made it really interesting with Checo. So he earned himself a podium finish. And with signs out of the race, they're still fighting Mercedes for P2 and the constructors. And Mercedes had a good day. So you got to get some points. And, and he did. He got, he got some points. Now, again, Mercedes got more because they had both drivers finish in the top five. And you had a driver finish ahead of him. But it could have been disastrous for Ferrari given that Carlos Sainz got no points. And, but it also is a fight with Sergio Perez for P2 in the driver's standings. And he beat Perez. So now he's a two-point lead heading to Mexico City. Number four. Fernando Alonso. I wanted to move him up more, but I didn't, but because he got a 30-second penalty for driving with an unsafe car. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. He still, still got that machine around the circuit of the Americas after getting hit by Stroll that caused his car to do a wheelie and then land. He got some damage when he landed, but he finished seventh. 
It was a heck of a drive and really, really impressive. The penalty dropped him all the way down to 15th. But don't you worry, Fernando. We all saw what you did out there. Well done. We'll talk about the penalty and the appeal coming up in a little bit. Uh, number three, Sebastian Vettel. D does he have to retire? Can somebody talk him out of this? I mean, Seb had the lead of this Grand Prix. If it wasn't for a really long pit stop, he could have been on the podium with an Aston Martin. Great last lap battle with Kevin Magnuson. The crowd just loved it. Seb really, really lit it up. I know everybody's thanking him. And I think when you go on the sort of retirement tour since his announcement, you're going to see things through a different lens. Uh, so everything is looking rosy for Sebastian Vettel. Number two, Lewis Hamilton. With seven laps to go, he had the lead of the Grand Prix. With seven laps to go, he was the leader of the U.S. Grand Prix. And then, of course, he, he wasn't. He, but he didn't go down without a fight, man. He tried to go after Max during those turns after they kind of went into turn 12 and Max got the lead. That straight line speed, though, overstabbing just too much. The W13 is getting better, as we talked about. It's getting better and better. But there are only three races left before the season finishes, and they may go without a victory, and that would be really, really sad for a team that has had consistency in that regard. But this is all building up to next season, and I hope, as many people probably do, that we get another dogfight for the championship next year, whether it's Russell Verstappen, whether it's Hamilton Verstappen, maybe Ferrari's in that mix as well. I hope all the teams that are learning about their cars this year and what it could be for 2023, and I think Toto Wolf and Mercedes are starting to see what this car can do and this offseason we might actually see a better car you know when we go to barcelona for testing but of course number one no surprise it's not max it's not Sergio. it's red bull as a team it's a win for verstappen that's number 13 that they get the constructor's title first race uh first one since 2013 for red bull sergio perez finished fourth they celebrated like rock stars they also celebrated because the red bull founder uh passed away over the weekend so they celebrated him and his involvement in motorsports and max verstappen and said I wouldn't be here without him. Red Bull has been dominant in 2022. There is not much more to add to that. They have the driver. They have the car. They're capable of winning after an 11-second pit stop. I mean, I'm, I've watched so many Formula 1 races over the years that an 11-second pit stop... Like, I felt like that would be damaging, like, right? Like it should have been like, should have been the story of the Grand Prix, but he just makes it up because he's that much faster than anybody on the grid. We see him do this at Spa and other places where he starts way back and he just moves himself through the field. An 11 second pit stop was not going to slow Max down. Um, Max wins in all kinds of ways this season. So him and the team, congratulations to Red Bull for a dominating season that was sort of celebrated in Austin, the capping of both the driver's championship because they didn't get to celebrate that properly in Suzuka and the constructor's title for the first time in nearly 10 years that they finally captured that. All right, so Fernando Alonso, let's get to this really quick. So Fernando Alonso finished seventh in the Grand Prix, but Haas made a protest and they protested two things. They protested both Sergio Perez for a wing issue and uh, Fernando Alonso for a mirror issue and said both were driving unsafe cars. They threw the, they threw the protest of Sergio Perez's out, but they kept Alonso because Alonso's mirror just flew off while he was going down one of the straights and they kept Alonso and he got a stop and go penalty right? A 10 second stop and go penalty. But because it was after the race that translated to a 30 second penalty and that moved him from seventh to 15th. Alonzo appealed this as of this recording. We don't know the result of the appeal. I promise you when we do, I'll properly analyze it on a future podcast, but here's my initial thought on this. I think a lot of us are really, really nervous about this. And I, I, I know Fernando Alonso is because there is a bad precedent that could be sent here. And I think this is the talking point that a lot of people in the media are going with. 
Okay, this was a mirror situation where the mirror was loose. It, it, it gets affected by the contact. It flies off. Now, do we want the drivers to have mirrors on the cars? Of course. But what exactly are we going to do going forward if cars can't just simply recover and just stay on the track and drive? We've got to have some way of radioing into the team to let them know we're noticing that your car is unsafe. And so it doesn't come back later in the Grand Prix when it's over that there's now a penalty because a team is protesting it. There's got to be a message to Alpine. There should have been a message to Alonzo. That's loose. Get it in. Tighten it up. I don't care what you do. Throw some tape on it. Whatever. But that's got to be secured. They didn't do that. Nobody did that. So it just kind of flew off and Alonzo gets the car around. We don't want Formula One to be, and even though safety is paramount, so don't misread what I'm saying here, safety is paramount. I don't want guys driving completely unsafe cars here, but there's got to be a, a medium, a happy medium here somewhere. Being able to do recovery drives in this sport are, is important. Alonso was a points achiever in the Grand Prix. He got seventh, seventh. And it was taken away because of this protest when maybe, just maybe, it could have been handled a little bit better. Had Fernando Alonso been told that there's an issue with your mirror, get it in, get it fixed, or you're going to get a black-orange flag, maybe the team would have gotten him in. If this is going to go Alonso, if it goes Alonso's way, then we will we'll, we'll get him back to seventh. He'll get the points. It'll all be adjusted. But if it doesn't, it sets a real clear message that any damage at all can be deemed unsafe, and therefore you are done for the day. You need to pit and be done. And I don't want Formula One to go down that road. A lot of guys are driving cars with damaged. Lots of damaged things. What's unsafe? What's safe? Damaged floorboard? You got to go in, right? Damaged wheel guard? You got to go in. Damaged wing? You got to go in. Yeah, there are certain things you have to go in for. They will tell you if your wing is damaged, you better get in. If certain other things are damaged, you better get in and fix it or you're done. But something like this is a little bit on the lower end, right? Now, again, a mirror is a mirror. You want to be able to see. But I think there's got to be a proper procedure here because I just don't want cars retiring all the time because the car isn't perfect. All right, so that's going to do it for our Mexico City Grand Prix. Again, we will have the Alonzo decision in our next podcast. We will have a Mexico City Grand Prix review. That's coming up early next week. Uh, again, just three races left. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. And if you are a brand new listener, I hope you like what you hear. I do this a lot differently than you hear other podcasts. If you are familiar with Formula One podcasts where there's a group of people sitting around, it's like an hour and a half. I try to get these in within about a 30-minute time period, get you kind of consume it, done, and we move on throughout the season. So I hope you like it. Please subscribe if you do. I'm Tony Desiri. We'll see you next week as we review the goings-on at Mexico City. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 Podcast.